Peace be upon you. So there is one single sin that if maintained till death, God will not forgive. And this sin is idolatry. In Surah 4 verse 48, it reads, God does not forgive idolatry, but he forgives lesser offenses for whomever he wills. Anyone who sets up idols beside God has forged a horrendous offense. And this, the reason I specify that it has to be maintained till death is because God tells us in the Quran that all sins are forgivable. In 39.53, it says, Proclaim, O my servants who exceeded the limits, never despair of God's mercy, for God forgives all sins. He is the forgiver most merciful. A sin maintained till death, there is no opportunity to repent, to reform, to change, to devote 100% of our worship practices to God. In Surah 4, verse 146, it reads, Only those who repent, reform, hold fast to God, and devote their religion absolutely to God alone will be counted with the believers. God will bless the believers with a great recompense. Meaning that if idolatry is maintained till death, and the individual never repents, reforms, changes, then that sin will not be forgiven. And why is it that this one sin, this act of idolatry associating partners with God, is such a horrendous crime. And we find this answer in Surah 31, entitled Lokman, where Lokman's giving advice to his son. It reads in verse 13, recall that Lokman said to his son as he enlightened him, O oh my son, do not set up any idols beside God. Idolatry is a gross injustice. Why is idolatry such a gross injustice? Imagine you had a child, and you spent your blood, sweat, tears to raise that child properly. You gave them the best food, the best accommodations, the best housing, the best schooling, everything you could afford in order to try to make that child as successful as they can be. But that child only goes and thanks someone else for their achievement, some other human being. How would that make you feel? That would be a gross injustice. And this is nothing compared to the scale of what God has done for the human being. God has given us life. He's given us so much. Everything good in our life is attributed to God. But if we do not acknowledge this and we go and we thank or we attribute this, these blessings to someone else, we realize why a gross just injustice this all is. In Surah 3 verse 64 it reads, Say, O followers of the scripture, let us come to a logical agreement between us and you that we shall not worship except God, that we never set up any idols beside him, nor set up any human beings as lords beside God. If they turn away, say, Bear witness that we are submitters. This act of idol worship is not something to be taken lightly. It's something we have to continuously evaluate to ask ourselves, are we committing idol worship? Most people, when they think about idol worship, they think about people bowing down to statues or in the sense of how the uh, Christians, they've created Jesus as, you know, God forbid, the son of God, and they worship him as if he's God. But it's a lot more subtle than that. And God gives us these examples in the Quran. God shows us how different things in our life can inadvertently be turned into idols rivaling God. God gives us the example of property as an idol. In Surah 18 verse 42, we read about the person who idolized their garden, thought that all their wealth, all their happiness, all their uh, good deeds were coming from this garden. But when God wiped it out, they became apparent to what they were committing. It reads in 1842, it reads, Indeed, his crops were wiped out and he ended up sorrowful, lamenting what he had spent on it in vain as his property lay barren. He finally said, I wish I never set up my property as a god beside my lord. This individual thought that their success was coming from the property. 
And the fact that they forgot to negate that the success comes from God alone, it showed that they were setting up their property as an idol. We have another example of a baby, a child. It reads in Psalm 189, it says, He created you from one person, Adam. Subsequently, he gave every man a mate to find tranquility with her. She then carries a light load that she can hardly notice. As the load gets heavier, they implore God, their Lord, if you give us a good baby, we will be appreciative. But when he gives them a good baby, they turn his gift into an idol that rivals him. God be exalted far above any partnership. When we love something more than we love God, it's showing that we're setting up an idol next to God, and in some cases, above God. When these people, they prioritize their life around their child, they think that their joy, their happiness comes from this child. It shows that they've set up an idol beside God, irrespective if they claim to believe in God or not. And it gives us more of a clue to what idol worship is. It continues in Psalm 191, it reads, Is it not a fact that they are idolizing idols who create nothing and are themselves created? Idols that can neither help them nor even help themselves. If we think anything beside God can harm or benefit us, independent of God, that is idol worship. In 576, it reads, say, would you worship beside God powerless idols who can neither harm you nor benefit you? God is here omniscient. If we think something independent of God can harm or benefit us, then it shows that we're setting up a source, a creator, a sustainer beside God. And this brings us to another form of an idol that most people might overlook, and that's of the ego. In 45.23 reads, Have you noted the one whose God is his ego? Consequently, God sends him astray despite his knowledge, seals his hearing and his mind, and places a veil on his eyes. Who then can guide him? After such a decision by God, would you not take heed? Setting up our own opinion above that of what God tells us in the Quran is showing that we think that we know better than God. God tells us in Surah 6, verse 121, it says, Do not eat from that upon which the name of God has not been mentioned, for it is an abomination. And then it continues, it says, The devils inspired their allies to argue with you. If you obey them, you will be idol worshippers. Meaning that if you have information directly from God in the Quran to tell you to do something, but you choose to follow another source that contradicts what God tells you in the Quran, then it shows that you are setting up an idol beside God. You think that this other source is providing guidance that's better than what God has given us, that what God has commanded us to follow. In Surah 39, verse 3, it reads, Absolutely, the religion shall be devoted to God alone. Those who set up idols beside him say, We idolize them only to bring us closer to God, for they are in a better position. God will judge them regarding their disputes. God does not guide such a liar's disbelievers. These individuals who set up an idol beside God follow a source beside what God has revealed in the Quran. They do this because they think that this source is closer to God. Therefore, if they follow this source, they'll be in a better position. And God is telling us that if you do this, you are committing idol worship. We have to go to the source itself, the Quran itself. If we're following additional sources, as legitimate as they may appear, then we're going astray. 
Don't take my word for it. Go to the Quran and see what the Quran has to say in regards to this. Yet it's even worse than this. These individuals, not only are they following sources beside God, what they're doing is they're imploring these very idols for help, thinking that by imploring these idols, sending prayers to these idols, that it's going to bring them closer to God. And all it's doing is it's confirming their idol worship. If we believe that Muhammad, Jesus, the saints, the martyrs, anyone can hear our prayers, then we're equating God-like powers of omniscience and omnipresence to these individuals. If we believe that these individuals can intercede on our behalf on the Day of Judgment, they would have to be able to witness all our deeds and know our innermost thoughts that only God knows. God tells us we are not even aware of them. They have to have the power to absolve sin, which completely contradicts the Quran. In Surah 35 verse 18 it reads, No soul can carry the sins of any other soul if a soul that is loaded with sins implores another to bear part of its load, no other soul can carry any part of it, even if they were related. The only people to take heed your warnings are those who reverence their Lord, even when alone in their privacy and observe the Salat. Whoever purifies his soul does so for his own good. To God is the final destiny. To think that we can implore Abraham, Muhammad, anyone to bear any part of our sin is completely contradicting what's in the Quran. And God tells us even if they were related, it wouldn't matter. It doesn't matter how righteous these individuals are. The only people who are accountable for their sins is ourselves. And the only one who can absolve sins, who can redeem individuals, is God. Think of this. Abraham could not intercede on behalf of his own father. Noah could not intercede on behalf of his own son. Lot could not intercede on behalf of his own wife. These people that they spent a lifetime with, they could do nothing to intercede on their behalf once it was destined that they were headed to hell. These most righteous individuals were completely helpless against this. If these individuals who couldn't help their own loved ones how can we possibly think thousands of years later they will not only be able to help us, but they will even identify who we are, what we did, what we believe, what our actions were, what our deeds were. They are completely incapable of doing that. In Surah 9 verse 80, it reads, Whether you ask forgiveness for them or do not ask forgiveness for them, even if you ask forgiveness for them 70 times, God will not forgive them. This is because they disbelieve in God and His Messenger. God does not guide the wicked people. This is a message to the Messenger at the time, telling him there's nothing you could do. If you ask forgiveness for these people that have been condemned to hell even 70 times, God will not forgive them. So what makes us think that these individuals, these righteous individuals, would be able to intercede regarding the bad deeds we've done in our life? Every soul is going to be accountable for their own deeds. Anyone who implores someone else to carry any piece of their sin is going to be incapable of. God goes one step further. If someone claims that they can carry any part of your sin, not only will they not be able to, but they will be responsible for your sin and their own sin for making such a claim. We see the example of Abraham that he was telling, he was imploring. He says, in 2682, it says, The one 
who hopefully will forgive my sins on the day of judgment. Abraham, one of the most righteous individuals who never committed idol worship, is hopeful that maybe God will forgive his sins. He's not even certain of his own destiny. Now, how is anyone supposed to intercede on the behalf of anyone else? In Surah 7188, it reads, This is the messenger saying, Say, I have no power to benefit myself or harm myself. Only what God wills happens to me. If I knew the future, I would have increased my wealth and no harm would have afflicted me. I am no more than a warner, a bearer of good news for those who believe. The messenger himself is proclaiming, I have no power to benefit myself or harm myself. Now, if we are attributing these powers to them, that they can benefit us, that they can harm us independent of God, then we're giving them God-like qualities. We're setting up a God beside God. The first commandment for all of eternity has been that there is no other God beside God. This is written in the first commandment in Exodus 23. It says, you shall have no other God beside me. In the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 22, verse 36 through 37, someone asks, teacher, to Jesus, says, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And this is the case in the Quran. In Surah 3, verse 18, it reads, God bears witness that there is no God except He, and so do the angels and those who possess knowledge. Truthfully and equitably, He is the absolute God. There is no God but He, the Almighty, most wise. This commandment, La ilaha illallah, occurs 19 times in the Quran, that there is no other God beside God. There is no other God beside Him. Yet, why is it that the average person, if you ask, what is your shahada? What is your declaration of faith that proclaims you are a Muslim, a submitter? They say, I bear witness there's no other God beside God, and I bear witness that Muhammad is a messenger of God. Now, where did this come from? To have to proclaim that Muhammad is a messenger of God, it does not exist in the Quran. God tells us in 39.45, says, when God alone is mentioned, the hearts of those who do not believe in the hereafter shrink with aversion. But when others are mentioned beside him, they become satisfied. Are you only satisfied when Muhammad's name is mentioned next to God? Are you not satisfied with la ilaha illallah, that there is no other God beside God? In Surah 4 verse 36, it reads, You shall worship God alone. Do not associate anything with him. Even if we claim that Muhammad is the servant of God, it's still irrelevant because we're associating another entity next to God, which God tells us repeatedly not to. Ironically, the expression, Rasulullah, only occurs one time in the Quran. And that occurs in Surah 63, which is entitled, The Hypocrites. And it reads, when the hypocrites come to you, they say, we bear witness that you are the messenger of God, and God knows uh, that you are his messenger. And God bears witness that the hypocrites are liars. Now, we know they're hypocrites, but why are they liars? It's because it's impossible for any human being to bear witness to Muhammad receiving the revelations, making him a prophet. If we say that I bear witness that Muhammad is a messenger of God, did we witness this with our own eyes? God gives us the example in 2844. It says, you were not present on the slope of the Western Mount when we issued the command to Moses, 
you were not a witness. In order to be able to witness something, we have to be able to see it with our own eyes. Now, we know that Muhammad was a messenger of God. He was the final prophet of God. But he has no bearing whatsoever on the first commandment. Muhammad was no different than any of the other messengers. Repeatedly in the Quran, God tells us that we are not to make any distinction among God's messengers. God makes distinctions, but it's not our job to. In Surah 2, verse 285, it tells us what we're supposed to do with this information. It says, the messenger has believed in what was sent down to him from his Lord, and so did the believers. They believe in God, his angels, his scriptures, his messengers. And it says, we make no distinction among any of God's messengers. They say, we hear and we obey. Forgive us, our Lord. To you is the ultimate destiny. When God gives us a commandment, our only response is to say, we hear and we obey. When God tells us, don't make any distinction among God's messengers, not to elevate some over others, then it's our duty to follow that by saying, we hear and we obey. Now, do you think Muhammad has any clue to the fact of the level of elevation that individuals have put him in this world? And the answer is he's completely clueless to this. And we see this in the example of Jesus in Surah 5, verse 116, where it reads, God will say, O Jesus, son of Mary. So this is on the day of judgment. It says, Did you say to the people, Make me and my mother idols beside God? He will say, Be you glorified. I could not utter what was not right. Had I said it, you already would have known it. You know my thoughts, and I do not know your thoughts. You know all secrets. Jesus is going to be absolutely flabbergasted on the day of judgment to realize that people were calling him the son, not only the son of God, but part of a trinity, that he was God. He is going to be completely taken back by such information. Now, what is Muhammad going to think when he realizes that all these individuals, these billion plus Muslims, have included his name in the Shahada, that five times a day when they do their Salat, they're mentioning Muhammad's name. I guarantee you Muhammad himself would not have mentioned his own name in his Salat because he was commanded to follow the religion of Abraham. The Salat was first delivered to Abraham. Now how would Abraham have said Muhammad's name who lived thousands of years after him? It's impossible. You know, we've set this individual up no different than what other people have done in the past when they set their prophets and their messengers up as idols. In 379, it reads, Never would a human being whom God blessed with scripture and prophethood say to the people, Idolize me beside God. Instead, he would say, Devote yourselves absolutely to your Lord alone according to the scripture you preach and the teachings you learn. Nor would he command you to idolize the angels and the prophets as lords. Would he exhort you to disbelieve after becoming submitters? We need to take this to heart. If God tells us the one sin that he will not forgive us, if maintained till death, is idol worship, we need to do our utmost to make sure that we are never committing the slightest form of idol worship. Because that is the most horrendous of crimes. On the day of judgment, the disbelievers are going to be shocked by what they find out. In Surah 40, verse 10 through 12, we read, Those who disbelieve will be told, God's abhorrence towards you is even worse than your abhorrence towards yourselves. For you were invited to believe, but you chose to disbelieve. They will say, Our Lord, you have put us to death twice. You gave us two lives. Now we have confessed our sins. Is there any way out? 
And it continues in Surah 40, verse 12. The reason this all happened is this is because when God alone was advocated, you disbelieved. But when others were mentioned beside him, you believed. Therefore, God's judgment has been issued. He is the Most High, the Great. He is the one who continuously shows you his proofs and sends down to you from the sky provisions. Only those who totally submit will be able to take heed. Therefore, you shall devote your worship absolutely to God alone, even if the disbelievers dislike it. Ask yourself, what did any of the prophets, the saints, the martyrs, any of these individuals have to do with the creation of the heavens and the earth? What did they have to do with the provisions that God sends down from the sky? The, everything that God does in detail. They had no say in any of this. They were merely used as a mechanism. They served their purpose. They were tested accordingly, just like every other human being. Now, if we set them up to be partners with God, irrespective if we say that are the servant of God, the fact if we're not content with God alone, then it shows that we are setting up an idol beside God. And take this into consideration. Today, you walk into 99.999% of mosques or masjids in the world. What will you see? Which names will you see depicted? You'll see God, but typically, again, the vast majority of times, you'll see the names of Muhammad, you'll see the names of Ali, you'll see these other entities, names beside God. God tells us in the Quran in 7.2.18, it reads, The places of worship belong to God alone. Do not call on anyone else beside God. I live down the street to a masjid that they call themselves the Masjid of Al-Rasul. They are dedicating their masjid to the Prophet as opposed to dedicating it to God alone. This is a horrendous injustice. It continues in 1719, says, when God's servant advocated him alone, almost all of them banded together to oppose him. Why? What is it about the worship of God alone that leaves people so frustrated, so angry, so hostile? It shows that they don't believe sincerely, that they are not satisfied with God alone. And God gives us the most profound question in Surah 39, verse 36. It reads, Is God not sufficient for his servant? They frighten you with the idols they set up beside him. Whomever God sends astray, nothing can guide him. God has to be sufficient for us. We shouldn't need anything else beside God. Our worship practices all should be dedicated to God alone. In Surah 6, verse 162, it reads, Say, my contact hurts a lot. My worship practices, my life, my death are all devoted absolutely to God alone, Lord of the universe. No other partners beside God. We have to worship God alone. We have to refrain from all forms of idol worship because that is the one act that if maintained till death will guarantee our destiny in hell. And that is the last place anyone wants to spend all of eternity. Knowing full well that they had the access to heaven, to eternal bliss, to being next to God. There is no other achievement, triumph greater than that. God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys got comments or questions, please hit us up at quorontalk at gmail.com. And until next time, peace and God bless.